and you can have a seat. Uh, thanks again for being here today. Uh, yesterday we had a group of ladies. I want to say thank you so much to them uh, that went out and did the women's only 5K walk run. Uh, they had a great time yesterday uh, running, walking, laughing, talking. Um, I had a great time getting ready to go out there. I went out there in the morning with my boys to see them. And uh, we had a chance to pray together. Um, I enjoyed going to the event because it said women's only 5K walk run. I was like, you know what? That's, that's legally telling me to be lazy and to not run or walk. So I was like, you know what? I like the way that you worded this. Uh, but yesterday we, uh, we went out there and, and prayed with them and just had a good time celebrating for a little bit. Um, so thank you so much, ladies, that were out there doing that um, and supporting a couple of our ladies here at church that have um, come through uh, a couple bouts of breast cancer specifically. And just celebrated all that God's done in their life. So thank you so much. Uh, we're going to be again this morning in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 4. Uh, this uh, trip through the gospel of John, I pray, has been uh, really insightful for you. That you're really seeing this, this portrait, this picture of Jesus that John was inspired by God to really paint for us. Um, today we're going to be in chapter 4. And today deals with um, this story of this Samaritan woman. And there's a lot of things about this lady that I, I really won't dive deeply into um, if you've ever heard a series or one, even just one sermon on this lady from Samaria, you realize really quickly that God does a lot, a lot with brokenness. Um, you, you can't read this story and not hear what jumps off the pages of Scripture is that God doesn't just know what we've been through, um, but He wants to use that as He draws us specifically close to Him. And Jesus does this in some remarkable ways with this lady. And, and, and for all the things that I've preached over the years out of this passage, the one thing that I think God has really, I really believe is God has put on my heart today to share with you is the way the conversation takes some really intentional twists and turns. Um, Jesus didn't just act perfectly, he spoke perfectly. Now, for all of us that are husbands, we really wish that we could live out this, this aspect of Jesus' life. If we could just speak perfectly. In other words, say the right thing at the right time. Now, guys, I can tell you if you man, we just, woo, we had some revival there, right? Like, so here's what I'm offering you guys. I've made virtually every mistake that you've made, but I'm particularly good at recognizing your mistakes better than I am my own. So if you ever find yourself in a situation at home, feel free to use this line. You know, honey, I feel like I kind of need to talk to the pastor about something. Get a quick getaway, rehearse the details of the conversation with me. Um, I'll give you a pretty safe return back inside and speak mode, and uh, we'll go with that and see how that goes. But Jesus always, always said the perfect thing. And in his conversations, he didn't just say the perfect thing, he, he took the perfect turns and transitions. So even when he goes from one subject to the next, he does it in perfect ways. I really believe that today's message will help all of us, one, recognize how God is speaking to us, to recognize the flow of the conversation that we're living with him, but also, hopefully, how to better have conversations with people about our faith, about our Jesus story, and how we can hear what they're saying, see where they go, and know the way that we can respond that would best please Jesus and best um, point people to Him. Um, at the end of the message, we're, we're going to kind of step out of 
um, the essential conversation with Jesus and this lady the way John does, and we're going to look at kind of a sandwich that he makes. Uh, any good sandwich has a piece of bread on top, um, a lot of meat in the middle, and another piece of bread on the bottom, and you just perf- put it together perfectly. It's, it's this perfect sandwich. It's this is it says this place in Scripture where we see something about um, how we share our Jesus story. Um, we see the meat of, of what God's doing with everybody and our place in his story. And then we come back again at the end to see in a perspective what happens when we share our Jesus story, but ultimately when people really hear from him. Okay, So we're going to dive into chapter 4. We're going to start, though, in verse 7. There's some things in verses 1 through 6 that really set the scene very well. Um, I encourage you to go back and read those and and really dig out the particulars in those. But we want to start out verse 7 today where it simply just says this, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, um, immediately before this, we get the context of um, when she was drawing water. She She was drawing water out of this well, manual labor, at the heat of the day. Now, most of us if we're really going to be able to plan out our work, we don't choose the hottest part of the day to go do all of our manual labor. Um, the reason why um, she was doing it at this time, as you may well know, was because she was trying to avoid the other women um, within their culture circle, um, their community of people. That She was trying to avoid them. Why she's trying to avoid them um, is clear as we continue to read on, but, but that's why she's there then. Um, the fact that she's a Samaritan woman uh, points to and really... Um, puts a spotlight on the racial tension that was going on even within the hearts of God's people. As they that saw themselves as Jews, um, there were Jews, then there were Gentiles, anybody that had no Jewish lineage, but in particular people that had a mixed lineage of Jewish heritage and Gentile heritage, especially particular um, groups and particular lines in Gentile heritage, there was a lot of hatred towards this group of people that simply we call Samaritans. And just the fact that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan, but also particularly a woman, highlights a couple things. Number one, the gospel is for everybody, with emphasis on everybody. And um, through the New Testament, in the four gospels, and in the Old Testament, many times God selectively calls out the life of individual women to say as daughters of the king, you have great value. Um, he does not, Jesus is careful to not diminish the role of women in culture, but to, but to identify them as important people in the kingdom of God. Uh, the New Testament follows that pattern as it continues on um, through the pages of the rest of the Bible. She's there drawing water. Jesus starts the conversation. He says, give me a drink. Jesus said to her because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you ask a Jew, you ask, you a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did, and so did some of his livestock and sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him 
will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that we can really take in at this part of the conversation. Jesus starts with a very clear spiritual principle, a spiritual tone to the conversation. Now, he's using the words living water, and this is where it's really tripping her up. Now, um, it's so awesome to really hear the truth of God's word, but also just observe in general what his creation is and how it functions. Um, All of us as humans need water to survive. And I think God even knows that we neglect the bodies that he gives us and trusts us with to the point that he even puts water within certain foods that aren't just glasses of water to make sure that we get water. Water, based on its chemical structure, is structured in a way that it's one of the best natural dissolvers because of the way the particles are divided in the little triangle that H2O forms. It's a great natural dissolver. It breaks things down. It carries, it's an essential part of the process in our bodies to carry waste, the things that we don't need in our bodies, out. And it also is incredibly instrumental in taking the nutrients, the things that we need inside of our cells in the way that God's created us. Water transports those things into us. That's why we have to have water. As Jesus is talking to this woman about spiritual water, living water, he's trying to help her understand that there is a resource that he can give her that will allow her to have a true and certain relationship with God. And he calls it living water. Because if you know anything about this lady, what you already know about her is this. There's a lot of baggage in her life, a lot of walls that need to be broken down and dissolved. And that's what water does. There's a lot of things that are in her life, hurts, and, and there's a lot of tendencies and there's a lot of willingness to go find acceptance in other men that need to be out of her. It needs to kick that waste out. And there's a lot of need that she has to feel the love of a true God, some acceptance and some intimacy. And it's God's word and the reality of a relationship through Jesus that needs to take those things into her. That's what it means by living water. To to put in her everything she needs, to get out all the garbage, and then to break down the walls that are dividing the two. So Jesus offers her this. And he says something that really is true. Think about this with me. He says basically this, if you knew, if you knew what I was really offering you and you knew who I was, then this wouldn't even be a conversation. It certainly wouldn't be a discussion. You would just simply say, okay, please, thank you. I mean, imagine this, if, if we, in the regularity of our lives, the busyness of our lives, if we could have removed from us these blinders that we wear to really who God is and what he thinks and what he's doing. To be able to really see what Jesus is up to. To see the magnitude of what he really paid for our sin. To see really what all of eternity really looks like in heaven. If that could be visible to us, and we knew that it was Jesus offering us a free relationship, we would just go, okay, absolutely, yes. But it's that veil, it's that cloud that keeps us from clearly seeing it. Jesus acknowledges, he said, listen, it's not the product or the delivery or the delivery man that's messing you up. It's everything else that's in the middle of your life that's gunking everything up. Well, he gets right down to the spiritual condition that she's living in. And she responds. And she really responds in a really honest way. She says, okay, give me this water because I don't want to come back here. 
Now, what's really important to understand is what, what, what does she mean by here? What she means by here is, is this, this social awkwardness that she lives in. This place where she's looking around her going, I've got to come get water at noon when the sun is beating down on me because the way that these other women in my community talk about me, the way that they speak to me is just, I, I can't take it anymore. And she's frustrated and she's hurt because when she goes home, we already know if you've ever read this passage, when she goes home, she just sees a reflection of more hurt and disconnect. She's just tired and she just simply says, you know what, fine, give me the water. I don't want to come back here. And at this moment, what you're getting ready to find out is Jesus completely changes the conversation. And you or I may go, hang on a second, Jesus, why would you change the conversation? You had her on the hook, right? Like, you, like she was leaning in. She was going, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to live like this, so give me whatever you have. There's this amazing thing that Jesus teaches us right here, which is this. Even when we're presenting the gospel with someone, we're not called to draw them in in shaky circumstances. This woman was ready to say yes because she was just mad and angry and frustrated. That's far different than saying, God, I will lay down my entire will to you. I want to be saved. I'm a miserable sinner. Like I've done wrong and I need your forgiveness, God. I want to, I want to be able to draw close to you. Jesus knew that she was hurt, but her heart wasn't in the right place yet to be able to receive the gospel. See, that takes a lot of patience. Do you ever, you ever remember growing up being young and you heard a sermon that was so scary about hell that people responded to it just to avoid that place? Like I, I grew up hearing those types of sermons. Being scared of hell is not what's supposed to motivate us into salvation, into a relationship with God. It's the draw of Jesus Christ saying free and forgiveness is here for you. That's what God's calling us to. When people are emotionally hurt, they may make promises to God and they may want to say some things that seem like good spiritual decisions, but it takes a lot of spiritual discernment in our place to follow Jesus, to not just know how Jesus is talking to us, but know how to talk to other people. It takes a lot of discernment to say, God's Spirit is telling me right now that I could push you to say a prayer, but this prayer is not really going to position you to be in a real relationship with Jesus Christ possibly. So knowing this about her and knowing where her heart is, knowing the hurt, Jesus looked at her realizing that the spiritual line of conversation wasn't getting through. Life was too loud. The hurt was too deep. So he goes deep where the hurt is. And he starts talking to her about her personal life. We pick back up. He says this in verse 16. He says, well, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Well, I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus responded. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that this place of worship is in Jerusalem. You see what she did there? Jesus, Jesus dug deep, and so she just ran and changed subjects. She's like, you know what, you're a really good teacher. Let's talk about worship songs. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about where we worship. I don't want to talk about the other stuff. See, Jesus saw that she wasn't getting clearly this real sharp, pointed spiritual message. 
He said, you know what? This, this lady doesn't realize that her, her craving, her need, her desire really runs much deeper than what she's living out. So he says, you know what? Let's talk about your personal life. Let's talk about relationships. Because after all, that's, that's where the real need was going to be met. He, he looked at a lady that had five former husbands and was living with a husband or was living with a man that was not her husband. Now, in our own United States culture, we know people, and you may be in a relationship, a marriage that's not your first marriage. You may be in a marriage that's not your first or second marriage. Maybe it's your third marriage. And in our United States culture, we talk through in church family, and through, we look through Scripture on what God speaks to when it speaks about um, marrying someone, um, especially after we've been divorced, and we look for the truth of God's Word as He talks about marriage, because He gives the same truth for someone whether they've been married once or multiple times. He just talks about what your marriage is. He doesn't give new rules for a second or third marriage. It's always the same set of rules. But when we hear that someone's been married once, twice, three times, we don't think a lot about it. If somebody comes up to you and calls you on the phone today and says, hey, I got great news, I'm getting married, and you go, hang on a second, is this number five? Yeah, yeah, number five. You're going... Well, holy Cinco de Mayo, Batman, I don't know that five is really, like, are you sure about this? Like, if, if the first four didn't work out, like, how, do you, how are you more sure about number five? Or if you get another call and somebody says, hey, you know what? I have found finally the person I've been searching for. This is the love of my life. And you're going, is this number six? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I figured out what I did wrong all the first five times. We got married. We're skipping that part. We're just going to live together. Whew, I, don't, like, I don't know that this is the best idea. Like you're trying to find the words to kind of you know, say to get something across that you don't think these are wise decisions. And that's our culture. Think about the culture that this woman lived in. You remember we were just in John chapter 3 when John the baptizer was talking about um, what it's like in his, from his own personal perspective to see people coming to Christ. He described it as this wedding celebration. And if you were here last Sunday um, or, or you listened to our sermon on podcast or however you listened to it, um, I described kind of the details of what that was to which my wife responded to me. That was one of the most awkward moments for me in the 9 o'clock service that I've ever had with you in church. So I changed my wording at this time last week. But, but we, we talked about how just their, the symbolism of their marriage ceremonies were, were, to, were to celebrate, celebrate purity, to really um, acknowledge intimacy and, and to look for acceptance and the one that was really there to accept you. You know, we have marriage as an institution, not just to make us happy or drive us crazy, but we have marriage as an institution on this planet to know what it's like to have a real relationship with God. That's the purpose of marriage. And we, we saw that, that that's what marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this place of intimacy and acceptance, and that's supposed to reflect our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, how have those relationships gone? John has been inspired now to look deep into marriage failure in this lady's life because she was looking for something that she never could find. So Jesus dove deep into that heartache, into that hurt to go, hey, what's this craving? What's this need you seem to have that's so unmet? Because again, where's he trying to get around to that I can meet that need? We know from the symbolism of numerology in Scripture. She'd been married five times. She's now with one other man. That's six. What's the number of completion? Seven. Who's the seventh man that's offering her love and protection? Jesus. So we see how God is, is aware of the details of her life and, and working out this message in her life, and he's trying to take her to realize what that need is. Now, 
At this point in the story, I want you to hear something. If you ever find yourself confused by what God is saying to you, because I believe we're a church family who is, who is on the edge of our seat wanting to know, God, what do you have to say about my life? What do you want me to do now? We want to hear God from you on whatever it is that our hearts are so heavy over. Many times, um, it, it's so helpful to understand this. When, when you are confused by what God seems to be saying and it doesn't seem to be clear, that doesn't mean you're a busted Christian or you're broken or you just can't figure it out or you're just not as smart as other people that study the Word of God. It just simply means this. You now know where you're at in the continuation of conversation with Jesus. Jesus starts out with a spiritual principle that she doesn't understand. So what does He do? He starts to show her in life where her real need is and where she needs to start changing how she sees her life. So when you or I are confused about what Jesus is saying, He's taken us from a, a spiritual principle that He tried to get across to us that we weren't ready for, into now seeing our life for what it is and, and, and starting to be more aware of what our true need is in Him. Now, He's following His path. She jumps ship. She takes running off right into the subject of worship. Jesus doesn't fight her because Jesus models for us a good pattern of communication, especially when we're talking about our faith. Jesus is okay going along with her on her topic, but he doesn't get bogged down into her issues. Do you understand the difference of that? When you're talking to somebody, and, and they're, trying to, they're trying to kind of twist and turn off the topic that you're trying to keep them on spiritually, it's never wrong to go with their topic. If you have somebody that's trying to argue creation, or argue the existence of the Holy Spirit inside of us as believers, or whatever the spiritual concept is. If you find somebody that's trying to argue something like that with you, it's okay to, to, to discuss their topic level, but if they're really trying to just make a joke out of the name of the God, or do the, they're, they're, some of those battles are, are not the battles that you or I are going to win. So if we, if we go that vein with them, we're just going to end up in a big mess. But we can stay and utilize the platform of their topic. And that's what Jesus does here. Notice how he does that. He starts to talk to her about worship. After he acknowledges something else that's important, she's not lying. She's actually using the truth. She's acknowledging the state of her life. You know, people that want to deny Christ, uh, people that are deceptive or even devious, they don't always lie. Many times, especially when it comes to spiritual conversations, do you ever notice that we use the truth for our own advantage? Somebody comes to us and goes, hey, I'd like to talk to you about some of the language that you're using, some of the words that are coming out of your mouth. Well, hang on a second. Now, before you talk to me, now you know that my spouse over here has, has, been, has, has been just abusing me verbally for years. Okay, well, that might be the truth, but it, it just, it's truth that we use to get a conversation away from ourselves. Like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about um, how you handle this situation at work. Now, if you really want to talk about situations at work, let's talk about how this person over here just handled what they went through. That was horrible. They didn't think of anybody. Okay, that might be true. But it's really just you, the truth is used to get us off topic. That's what she's doing here. So Jesus stays on topic, but doesn't get bogged down in the issues. He says this. Jesus told her, and this is verse 21, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, this is beautiful. This is what happens. So she wants to avoid the difficult parts of the conversation with God, so she jumps onto another subject. Jesus says, okay, we'll stay on that subject for a second. You want to talk worship? Fantastic. You need to worship God, right? You agree? Yeah, I agree. All right, you need to worship God? Guess what? It doesn't matter so much where you do it. It doesn't matter so much who you came from. What matters is is that you worship him in spirit, in, in relationship with him, and in truth, knowing who he is. And she says, Okay, exactly. So, so I need help with this. So somebody's supposed to be sent by God to explain all this stuff to us. So, so basically what she's saying is this. I'm good. I'm covered until somebody shows up to explain it all to me. And Jesus says, <clears throat> I'm him. And I'm here. And I'm speaking to you. Jesus basically does this. He, he, he says, all right, you jump ship on me on worship. I can talk worship, but I'm going to bring worship back around to who I am. I'm going to take your topic of worship back to the identity of Christ. You got somebody you're trying to talk to in your life about a spiritual discipline, a spiritual concept, a spiritual understanding, um, a commitment, a decision, a conversation, a word, or whatever it is, and they want to jump ship, you can go where their ship goes, but take it back to the identity that that Christ has and, and the identity we're supposed to find in Him. That's the line that God... Is showing us here, where do we take that conversation on the next level? You, do, you, do you see what Jesus did? He started out, hey, listen, here's something you really need for your life. She said, my life, basically her response was, non-verbally, my life is so complicated, I can't even listen to all that. He says, okay, I get it. You can't listen to it. You know why you can't listen to it? Your life is so loud because you're trying to meet your own needs. So let's talk about what your needs really are. Ooh, I don't want to talk about my needs. I want to talk about something else that doesn't feel so personal. Okay, let's go non-personal. But now I'm going to point you back to me. Because ultimately, Jesus is who's going to provide for her everything that she really needs. It's a perfect conversation. All the transitions are flawless. Because this is Jesus. But this is also the flow of conversation that we're called to have with other people. We're supposed to share our Jesus story with others. We're supposed to share what God's doing in our life with other people. This woman, in hearing Jesus, starts doing this immediately. Because you know what happens? When God speaks to you and God speaks to me, there's this immediate desire we have. We want to start using that somewhere. We want to start sending it somewhere. We want to start talking about it somewhere. And that's what she does. Out of the overflow of her heart, she starts having conversations. In fact, this is what she does. It says right here, just then, um, his disciples arrived, and they were um, amazed that he was talking with a woman Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar, in, um, left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. She didn't understand everything that Jesus told her. She didn't even have all of her issues of life resolved. All she did was she went and told everybody that would listen. She said, there is somebody that knows everything everything about me, yet he continued to talk to me. Think about who she went back to. At that hour, who was going to be available to listen? Most likely the other women of that village. 
because she was supposed to be doing all the things that they were doing. She would have known exactly where to go. The men would not have been as available to her. She went to them and she said, you know what, all the things that y'all talk about me, he knew them, but he kept talking to me. So hearing that, they left. So what does it look like to share your Jesus story? You can acknowledge and I can acknowledge the events of my past, but the events of my past are not the highlight of the story. Jesus is the highlight of the story. Jesus is who we are not just saved by, but we are in love with and we are championing his cause and not ours. So in here, she says, go and listen to him. Now, in the middle of this, we see a condition that we all have that trips us up. And it's now come up for the fourth time in this book of John. The disciples come back. It says, in the meantime, the disciples kept arguing, um, kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Basically, Jesus says this, listen, don't, don't stop bringing me food. I've already got food. They said, well, what do you mean you got food? He said, listen, what nourishes me to do God's will is, in fact, doing God's will. He said, there's nothing that gives me energy to do the will of God like actually doing the will of God. And if you ever, if you ever live this out in your life, when you're, when you're faithfully serving the Lord, it's amazing how we, we feel so much more compelled to continue to serve the Lord. It's when we start to take breaks and we start to just do the things that we want to do that we feel so disconnected and we find ourselves with such a lack of desire to serve and follow Him. It's amazing. When we're sacrificing, we just want to sacrifice more. And the beauty of this part of the conversation is, is that, that we've now been shown something four times, and this slide is going to be on the screen. It's basically this, this line of thought, that there is a spiritual blindness that is prevalent on this planet and, and is an obstacle in many conversations that Jesus has with us and we have with others. We've seen it four times now. In John 2, um, when Jesus is, is talking in the temple, he says, if you destroy this temple, he's talking about his own body, if you destroy it, in three days I'll build it back. And the people listening to him are like, what? This temple? He said, they said it took 46 years to build this building. You can't build it back in three days. But he wasn't talking about that building. In John 3... He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, uh-uh. How can a grown man go back there and repeat the process? It doesn't make sense. It's because it wasn't what Jesus was talking about. In John chapter 4, he says to this lady that I will give you living water, and she says, you don't even have a bucket. It's because she was looking for water that she could take in by her mouth. He was trying to give her water that she could take in through her heart. Also in John chapter 4, Jesus told his disciples that I have food to eat that you don't know about. And their question was, well, who brought him food? They were just trusting that it was the food that they could go buy that would sustain energy and, and, and give purpose and, and give resource to what they needed to do. And he said, no, you don't get it. Like, I'm just passionate about doing the Father's will. See, when, when, when God talks to us, there's at times spiritual blindness. We, we, don't, we don't really hear what he's saying as clearly as he's saying it. We don't grab this spiritual principle and this truth as easily as what he wants us to. And again, that lets us know where we are in the conversation. He's, he's telling us something, we don't understand it, and then following that, he's going to start working in our life to show us what our real need is. And a lot of times, showing us our real need means he's got to dig into the personal things. So if we run from it, it makes the conversation longer. 
if we'll stay in and embrace it like it's already told us to in John, to love the light, to bring our life into it, then we can get to the understanding in a shorter conversation. You see how the dots are connecting in the Gospel of John, hopefully? Through this time, Jesus tells His disciples, He said, listen, the harvest is now. People are ready. People need, they need to hear from God, but they need to hear from you. And here's what happens. When you continue to read down, it says this. Now, many Samaritans, this is in uh, verse uh, 29, I'm sorry, verse 39. It says, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. See, after you come out of this individual conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, she goes and tells her story. And Jesus is the highlight. He said, he knows everything I've already done. And the end of it is people responded to it. People responded to it. And, and, and I don't know if you realize this, but if you just share how Jesus has changed your life, you and I, I bet you are a lot alike. There's some people that, that know us. They know the old us. And just the fact that we've changed is going to make them want to believe something that they've never believed in before. When they hear your story, even if they don't know you, and they hear the impossible details, details like you had peace when no one in your position should have had peace. When, when they hear that you have restoration in a relationship that should have been absolutely something that was called quits. When you were able to forgive someone that was unforgivable and what they did could never be changed. When they hear the impossible details of your life, they'll be drawn in and they'll want to believe that. And notice it says that many believed. That their hearts were drawn in, but it says many more believed because then they heard from Jesus themselves. Your and my story is supposed to have Jesus at the headline. But our story is only for the purpose of drawing someone and getting someone to listen more to Jesus. Once they hear from Him, then real life change happens for them too. No matter how impactful any of our personal stories are, it's got to make that turn in the conversation. In the middle of those two pieces of bread is some really good meat. And in that meat, Jesus tells his disciples, now's the time. He said, it's all God's story. Some people plant seeds, some people water, some people harvest. He said, don't worry about where you are in the process, even if you're the ones doing it all. Because it's all God's story. It's all about Jesus and building his kingdom. But if you just have one part, then go do that faithfully. Go tell somebody for the first time who Jesus is. Go share your story for the first time. If, if somebody has, has heard it and heard it and heard it, then you just continue to water it. You continue to encourage and pray for them and just be that person that's consistent in front of them. And if they're ready to get saved, then you show them in Scripture how they can commit their heart to Christ and how they can know they, ha they have that forever relationship with Him. If they're ready to, 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 to confess something, then you be there to listen. Draw them in in the harvest. Harvest is all about bringing in. Jesus tells them, no matter what part you play or if you play all of it, now is the time. So for us, this 
This portion of John chapter 4 hopefully says a lot. Hopefully, number one, it tells you, what, what, it, what is Jesus saying to me? How is he talking to me? Is there, is there a truth that he's been whispering to me, but I just haven't gotten it yet? So he's going to start working in the details of my life? Or if you already sense him working in the details of your life, he's trying to dig down deep, and it's getting a little uncomfortable, and you feel yourself wanting to pull away and wanting to kind of take a break from that. Then you realize if you take a break, it's going to lengthen the conversation. But if you'll really hang in and listen, then you can get where he wants you to be in a shorter amount of time. But no matter where you are in hearing from him, we can go talk to others with the exact same conversational pattern. We can go share our Jesus story. We can go see Jesus lifted up. We can go see people drawn close to him. See, John, already by chapter 4, is not showing us just Jesus, but he's really starting to paint the picture of who we are in him and what we're supposed to be doing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to have some time in the service just to, just to sing, just to acknowledge Jesus and thank Him for what He's done and thank Him for what He continues to do. And if there's anything that you'd like to pray about, just yourself, or you would like someone to pray with you about something, I'd invite you to come up during this time to this front area where we, where we pray with folks. If you'd like to talk about your relationship with Jesus or beginning a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk with you more about that. Um, we, we want you to understand what that's built on, and it's built on Jesus. We want you to understand that it's, that it's because of God's grace that you can receive that. And we want you to understand what it means to have Jesus begin something in your life and it, and it be on His shoulders to maintain it. But I want you to know, too, that no matter how you see yourself, if you get it or don't get it, if you're confused right now, you are in a conversation with the Lord. He's speaking into your life. And that conversation may feel like it's been drawn out over a long number of years. Or it may feel like it's very quick and very short and very to the point. Just the fact that He's speaking to you proves His love. Because if He's perfect and holy that we believe He is, then he doesn't waste his time. And he has every right to discard someone based on their failure. But he doesn't. My prayer for you is that you realize maybe a little bit better about where you are in this conversation with Jesus. And you know with the people that are in your life how you can then take that pattern and go speak to them. That God will lead you in that conversation. And you realize how important it is for you to share your story and be part of His. God, as we sing to you now, Lord, we want to lift you up and honor you. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you, God, for you speaking to us through your word. So, Lord, as we continue to listen through this incredible letter that John wrote that you put on his heart and you guided him through, Lord, we ask that you just continue to mold us and make us into what you want us to be. And as we sing and as we lift our voices to you, that we do that in a way that's, that's honoring. Knowing, God, that you're speaking and knowing that we need to listen. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing?